0: You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com.
1: Hello, my friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals we have here in the United States. This is episode 157 of American Sex Podcast. I'm Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts, too. We just so happen also to be non-monogamously married to each other. This week, we're talking to Danorama about the history of syphilis. And oh my God, is it fascinating? If Danorama's name sounds familiar, he spent more than 25 years as a lifestyle dom and the past 22 as a professional presenter, performer, ethical porn director, and BDSM and Sex Educator. As a founding member of the Two Naughty Boys Rope Bondage Duo, Dan Arama has co-authored two best-selling rope bondage books and created dozens of free bondage tutorials. He was also the full-time director of Kink University, which is the educational branch of kink.com, where he produced hardcore sex ed and BDSM videos featuring a variety of presenters from across the United States. Today, Dan Arama continues to To teach intense and imaginative online workshops on a wide range of topics, from rough sex to interrogation to dollification. Okay, oh boy, this conversation. It is fascinating, it's horrific, it's tragic. I experienced the full spectrum of emotions during this conversation. So first, you know, we start out with the basics, the things you need to know. What's syphilis? How can it affect us? How can we protect ourselves? And hey, uh, why is it making a comeback with the number of cases increasing by 81% in the last four years? You're also going to learn that a spirochete is not a cute little chirpy bird. And then Dan gets into the history, starting with the conversation colonization of the Americas. He talks about how preventative measures and cures for syphilis led to fashion and beauty trends, some of which we even still have today, and also many historical figures who've had syphilis and how it affected their decision making. But there's also an incredibly dark side to the history of this disease. And I'm going to throw out a content note right now for that, especially for our Black and Indigenous listeners. The history of syphilis is heavily entrenched in the genocide of indigenous people and the atrocities that affected enslaved people and even up through the late 20th century with the Tuskegee experiments. I wanted to let you know what to expect so those parts of our conversation don't hit you by surprise and so you can decide if you're in the right headspace to hear about that history. But before we roll that conversation, we've got to wash the balls. Yeah, here on American Sex, that means housekeeping. So one, I want to remind you that if you appreciate the conversations we have here on American Sex Podcast and all of the other educational work that Ken and I do, come visit us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash American Sex. And members get all sorts of cool things from stickers in the mail to bonus audio to all of our episodes early patron hangouts just for patrons and special and swanky, and a whole lot more. Now, secondly, we have a sex and kink positive discord community. And if you dig the conversations we have here, we'd love for you to join us there. And it's free. You can find it at bit.ly slash discord. A-S-P. And by the way, if you miss any of the links that we talk about in this episode, you can always find them in the episode description and the show notes. Now, thirdly, I'm going to be part of an amazing weekend that's coming up soon that you have got to know about. It's the Tending the Garden Virtual Summit on April 24th and 25th. This weekend is for survivors to attend and have conversations With people who understand. Over the course of two days, participants will have access to licensed therapists, counselors, sex educators, fellow survivors, and more through a series of panels and discussions about topics that aren't often addressed. Those include neurodiverse folks with trauma, being fat and a survivor, male survivors, being a sex worker and a survivor. I'm going to be on a panel about kink and trauma, and it's going to be great. I'll have the link in the show notes, and I hope hope you can join us for this amazing event. Now, one last thing before we roll our conversation. I want to talk for just a minute about some important pleasure education. Okay, bottom line, I want to talk to you about your butt. Okay, your butt. Satisfier is sponsoring this segment of the show in celebration of spring. And it dawned on me that spring is an excellent time to try new things. Plus, Anal sex day is April 18th. So I want to specifically talk about the importance of backdoor pleasure for people that have vulvas. Now, Ken and I talk a lot about butt stuff for people with prostates. I mean, yeah, prostates feel great. And people with vulvas might wonder, well, you know, I don't have a pee spot, so what fun is butt stuff going to be for me anyway? Or, hey, I already discovered that butt stuff is so enjoyable for me, but why I don't have a prostate? What the heck is back there that feels so damn good? Okay, so whether you have a prostate or not... The anus is a hotbed of very sensitive nerve endings, and because it's located so closely to your other juicy bits, adding anal play to your routine can enhance other sexual stimulation and increase your orgasmic potential. You are literally sitting on a goldmine, and if you're ignoring it, you're potentially missing out on a buttload of fun. By the way, if you think those puns are, oh, just wait until we get to our conversation with Danorama, pun filled. Anyway, back to butts. Now, all people with vulvas are capable of having orgasms while having anal sex, right? And you know those nerves I talked about? The pudendal nerve is the most important. It's essential for orgasm in all people, no matter what types of genitals they have. And people with vulvas, the pudendal nerve directly connects to the clitoris. Now, this means anal stimulation can trigger extreme clitoral arousal. So for those that have difficulty achieving orgasm, I often recommend adding anal stimulation in addition to your clitoral fun. For instance, okay, so let's say you're using the Satisfier Curvy 2 Plus. That is one of my favorites, by the way, and it's app controlled. So in this fictitious scenario, we can even pretend that you're playing long distance, right? And maybe you're looking for a more full-bodied orgasm or a stronger orgasm, or to orgasm more quickly than you normally do, or maybe you just are looking for something that feels a little different, you know, because variety is the spice of life. Why not, right? Add a silicone booty call anal plug to the mix. Now, do that while you're using your Curvy 2+. Plus. So the nerve stimulation from the butt plug will create a more intense and different feeling experience than you will ever get with clitoral stimulation alone. And you get to use the fact that everything from your butt to your clit is intricately connected. You get to use that to your advantage. Satisfier, they're going to put a spring in your step, an extra one, with their amazing pleasure products that now come with their Satisfier Connect app. Satisfier is offering American Sex Podcast listeners 40% off, yes, 40, and free shipping on all app-enabled devices. Just use the code SUNNY40, that's S-U-N-N-Y 40, at satisfire.com And by the way, with the Satisfyer Connect app, you can play long distance, you can create your own sensation pattern so it feels just how you like it. I love this app because it really allows you to personalize your pleasure. Again, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use the code SUNNY40 for 40. Percent off and free shipping. Again, that's satisfier.com, sunny four zero. All right, now that you, not only are the balls cleaned, you know, the buttholes tickled a little bit, we're feeling really, really good. Um, I don't know, <laughs> like, am I going to ruin it all with syphilis? No, no, this is just a fascinating, fascinating history of syphilis. And you're going to learn how to protect yourself too. So here is Dan Arama. I am incredibly excited. About syphilis, which I never thought <laughs> would be a sentence that I would ever say in my lifetime. I
2: thought you were gonna say, Danorama, but like I am
1: excited <laughs> about. <laughs> I am excited about Danorama and Danorama. You're going to tell us all about the history of syphilis. Is this true?
0: Yeah, you've been itching to learn about this for years. Uh, uh, I, uh, I
1: just by just the way, we
2: we had one hell of a time deciding which of your classes. Uh, or not not even your classes, but which of the subjects, subjects that yeah. you are so eloquent on that we wanted to talk to you about for quite a while. And it actually came down between this one and the class that you taught. I think it was on Religious Play with Reverend oh, Ariel. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. If, if, if you like us, maybe we can have you and the Rev on and we can have you guys both talk. Ooh. Yeah, that would be
0: terrific. Yeah. And it's it's funny that that's turned out to be – I thought that was a really niche class. And uh, it has really turned out to have uh, mass appeal not yeah, mass of people. Uh, da- uh, uh.
1: People are congregating. To, to
2: <laughs>
1: oh, this is all pew, about pew, the pew. puns. So, <laughs> I honestly have this burning curiosity about the history of syphilis. I just got to keep with the puns. No, really. Oh, um, on. So, <laughs> so oh. Ken and I, uh, first of all, we are history geeks, and we're history geeks when it comes to things like. I don't know if you'd even call it bizarre history, but it's like, who even thinks well, about I the am. history of syphilis? Right. Uh, and like weird tidbit, my grandfather, my grandfather was a historian mm-hmm. and he wrote a book uh, about just the weird historical antidotes that make you go like, Oh, that's a weird. And it's called sex war in fancy. So I have a feeling the conversation we're about to have would be perfect in the, in his book. Um, so Let's get into syphilis. I, c- I can't think of another pun.
2: Itching, burning. <laughs> thank, thank science. You can't <laughs> think of
0: another pun. Shanker, I don't even know her.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's start. Let's start with the basics for those out there going. Okay, I know syphilis is some kind of STI, but like, let's start with what is syphilis, and then we'll get into the backstory.
0: Right. Well, syphilis is uh, syphilis is a bacterial infection. It's a most commonly a venereal disease although you can contract it uh through other means. Mm-hmm. But it is what's interesting about uh, uh syphilis is that it's a it's a spirochete. It's one of the oldest uh forms of uh it's a it's really interesting looking bacterium of course we can't see it on the podcast but it's this long spindly almost looks like a sperm in fact it's it's a distant relative of sperm if you go far Ooh. far enough and it's called a, a treponema pallidum And it has this helical structure that lets it move in a corkscrew fashion throughout mucous membranes and throughout tissues. And it it basically just bores its way into you and through you. And it can enter the body, usually through the genitals or the mouth, or even any minuscule breaks in the skin. And it only takes – these are Really, really microscopic little creatures. And it only takes about 10 organisms to produce an infection. And even a tiny painless lesion, which is called a shanker, which uh, gives some back history to the pun we just made. <laughs> it, they, one shanker can be teeming with thousands of them. And it only takes 10 in order to infect you. And uh, it doesn't even have to be through genital, the genital contact. Now, what happens is the std develops in four stages and the first two symptoms can be so mild that a lot of people don't even know that they have it uh and the first stage they call it the primary stage and that's where you get a painless sore it's called a uh, usually it's like a little painless pimple or bump uh, on the mouth, the anus, the rectum, the vagina, or usually the penis, and and these are called shankers, like I said, and they but they heal on their own after about three to six weeks, and they're painless. Mm-hmm. However, during this, even though they heal after that, you can still spread syphilis. So the secondary stage. You get this rough or reddish brown rash on your palms of your hands or the soles of your feet. Uh, your lymph nodes get swollen. You get a fever and a sore throat. Um, you start to experience some patchy hair loss, and then you'll get some headaches and body aches. You'll feel burning sensations all over the body, and you'll get extreme fatigue. Now mm-hmm. these symptoms go away even if you don't get treated, but if you're not treated, your infection will just get worse. And what often happens is that you can go into this latent period for decades. And during this phase, the syphilis bacteria are still alive in your body, warming their way through into your heart and your brain and all all of your vital organs, but you have no signs or symptoms of the infection. They usually travel along your nervous system cords going, hey, herpes, how are you? Oh, how did you get in here? Oh, yeah, same way. Yeah, thanks for (laughs) showing away. So- they all travel up through the nervous system and go into, of course, all your or your vital organs, particularly the brain and the heart. and uh, you're still contagious during this phase. And like I said, it can affect your brain, your heart, your nerves, your bones, and other parts of your body. And this phase in the latency can last for years or even decades, like I said. But not mm-hmm. everyone who has syphilis will enter this phase of the infection. Some people will go straight in to the tertiary phase. And the late phase or the tertiary is when the symptoms from the secondary stage disappear. Syphilis, it, it isn't contagious at this point once it gets to tertiary, but the infection has now started to affect your organs, and this can lead to death. The symptoms uh, may include problems controlling muscle movements, numbness, vision problems, you, and eventually blindness. You go deaf, and then you get this uh, the stage of dementia, which has a side effect, which we'll talk about a little bit later because it has a side effect of brilliance and then dementia and oh. then you die so you basically become brilliant go blind deaf and then you die
1: oh my goodness <laughs> and <laughs> wow
0: the interesting thing about syphilis is or the shocking thing about syphilis is why it's actually the the sti i'm a- almost most afraid of is because uh even if you get treated for even if you get th- The penicillin, which is the cure and uh, Mm -hmm. other heavy antibiotics for that are the cure for penicillin. It is curable, but when you get the cure, it basically just stops the progression of the syphilis. It does not fix the damage. Syphilis is basically like because it's a, because it's a, a spirochete boring into you. Having syphilis is like having termites. Mm. You can kill the termites, but you still have all this damage to your house. And that's why it can be a really scary thing that it's unfortunate that people are, have, have put it off in their mind as being, Oh, one of these diseases of old that we've taken care of. And so nothing exactly, to worry about. Just
1: get some penicillin. No big deal. Exactly. But, yeah. I'll just
0: get a shot. And yeah. But the, you know, the damage is done and a lot of the organs that it affect don't reproduce like the brain and the heart. And, uh, that's, uh, so you continue to suffer those side effects. So yeah, not mm-hmm. something to be trifled with.
2: Wow! So very interestingly, I owned a company and did uh, wrote a book about weird Chicago history facts. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that comes to my mind Al is Al Capone. Yeah. And I don't want to cut in too much because I don't know if you plan on talking about it. But if you could at some point address historical figures in syphilis.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we'll touch on that. And and Sonny, just to answer your point, I, I, I you and I. Man, we could have been such great friends because I'm uh, I'm a huge history buff as Ooh, well, and could on- have
1: been. Hey, it's not like the world is over. <laughs> absolutely, no, hi but new I'm,
0: friend. I absolutely, hi new friend. I just, you know, I go back. Sometimes I meet people, go, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Why didn't we know each other when I was in my lonely teen and twenties years?
1: Right? <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, I
0: keep I keep thinking of all the years of friendship that I've wasted on people that I'm just now meeting, and uh, but oh well. Moving forward. The, um, uh, because, you know, that's the way I am. Always try to find the, the dark cloud and everything. That's part of being goth, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so um, silver lining. Well, it tarnishes. So um, where were we going? <laughs> I so, don't know, but we just talked about goth oh, and yeah, the yeah, yeah, cure yeah. in one breath. The that's
2: cure. That's yeah, like a, goth- that's I, a I syphilis to pun, pun too. And, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like – to just wrap up syphilis now, mm-hmm. so I, I'm the educator in me is like y'all, yeah, you don't want to get syphilis, y'all. I know prep is an awesome thing, but there's still other things we can get even when we're on prep. I just <laughs> got to throw that out there. Um, so is there anything else that we need to know for like the us now about syphilis that's right. important?
0: Well, yeah. Well, for example, syphilis it's it's coming back, and a lot really? of that, yeah. So it it was steadily declining for decades, and then until about 20 years ago, it started, uh, it, it really hit the, the lowest point, and then over the last 20 years, the numbers of cases reported to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, have increased over the last four years. So it's basically, it's been on a climb over the last 20 years, and it's just been accelerating over the last four years. And the cases of syphilis diagnosed in 2019, which is the latest that I have records for, were 146,000 with another 10,000 cases presumed undiagnosed.
1: Wow!
0: So right now, there are estimated to be 12 million people with syphilis, worldwide, and according to the San Francisco Department of Public Health, cases of syphilis have been alarmingly rising, particularly among women, even as other STI rates have stayed flat or fallen. And for the 19th consecutive year, San Francisco has had the highest rate of syphilis cases of any city in the US with 1,860 in 2019. And San Francisco has also seen, unfortunately, an increase in congenital syphilis, uh, which is more and more babies are being brought into the world with, with, with this disease. And they often contract it, if not through the bloodstream, through shankers, uh, in the vagina and, uh, and at other stages of, uh, of birth, perhaps. So, and, wow. and, and child, child, care So, so yeah. I
1: find this curious because like you know when you said the increase especially in the last four years Mm -hmm. my first thought you know i'm like why my first thought is is you know prep which for those listening that's pre-exposure prophylaxis which is uh, a medication you can take to prevent uh, hiv contracting hiv and you know that's my first thought is i know like you know, Because people are on PrEP, they have foregone using condoms. And so the rise of other STIs have been happening. Um, but we tend to see that more in the gay community. So mm. you said there's been a huge increase in women. So yeah. are there theories as to why this is happening? Are we just not being safe all around?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one big theory is a lot of people are pointing their finger at dating apps, mm. which make it so easy for because people just – it makes it – It's really made it easy to hook up. And, uh, I know up in the North Bay, they were having a big, uh, syphilis, uh, uh, cluster up there that they were, that they had pinned on, on dating apps, uh, which we won't name any specifically, (laughs) but you kind of have the idea of uh, where they are. But so when, when people, when people meet and they hook up and particularly now because we, we live in an age where we are both uh anti vaccine and we've cured everything, so yeah. a lot of be- and you know and condoms don't feel good and so then you uh, you get that deadly combination of uh, increased access to people, decreased use of condoms and uh, and a prevailing attitude that disease is a, a thing of the twentieth yeah. century
1: so one more question about the now real quick mm-hmm. is question, you know we too. all know that. Uh, you know, people tend to focus on like penis and vagina or penis in orifice sex, right. you know. Um, however, how common is contracting syphilis from oral sex, from, you know, partners that have vulvas, that sort of thing? Do we also, is there a significant worry there or is it a lot less risk?
0: Well, the majority of cases have been with sex with, uh, uh w- with male and male sex in San Francisco mm. that's what the that's what the San Francisco Department of Public Health says but whatever whatever your uh, your genitalia are it uh, it can be uh, it it doesn't matter so it can be whether you have a vagina or whether you have a penis or whatever you have it doesn't even have to be your genitals because it can be mucous membranes like your mouth and any chancre that you have and keep in mind these shankers can be all over the body where it almost looks like if you can imagine uh, uh, old black and white pictures of, of, of chicken pox or if you've had chickenpox pox. Yeah. Can be, this mm-hmm. can, and, and the rash can be in your hands anytime until the tertiary phase. You can be contagious and. It only takes 10 spirochetes and it can be right through a break in the skin. So any type of no matter how you bump your uglies together, even if there's no penetration, uh, mm-hmm. you, you can still be exposed if you have someone that has an active case of syphilis. And what's interesting about syphilis, too, is that there, there's no vaccine possible for syphilis. So that's because there are, I guess, the outer surface of the the membrane of of Treponema pallidum has too few proteins for an antibody to be effective, Mm -hmm. and so the only way to treat it is the appropriate type of penicillin, and uh, so it's not like we, we. of course, you know that may change because now, now we have RNA vaccines. I mean, this a one uh, silver lining about COVID is that because yeah. we have all these great new RNA vaccines coming out that are not based on exposure to th- that have uh, other ways of interrupting that vector, uh, then there there may be hope. But. Um, you know, yeah, no, about- for
2: example, they found something that might lead to a vaccine for malaria.
0: Yes, that's true. And there's also an RNA vaccine that there have there is very promising for for mu- for uh, muscular dystrophy or no mu- multiple sclerosis, MS. Yeah, wow. yeah MS. So that's going to be great. So, so I had a question for
2: you about um, age groups mm-hmm. with the rise of Viagra (pun intended) in senior <laughs>
0: communities. Do, are we seeing more outbreaks of syphilis
2: in senior communities?
0: Boy, you know, I haven't seen, uh, I haven't looked at that yet, but um, yeah, and yeah. also, I kind of, I hate to to cast a, a dubious cloud at this, but you know, a lot, I, I would, I would wonder where a lot of the STI cases from in senior centers come from, whether that's uh, can be a factor of elder abuse as well so oh yeah that's because oh, gosh i
2: never even considered that but yeah, you're right
0: so because i don't think it's just like uh you know finally grandpa and granny are getting it on but <laughs> you know it may be you because know, because there, there's a, a long history of uh, sexual abuse in certain um in, in all sorts it, it i'm not trying to single out uh, elderly care but in all communities from religious yeah. to schools to sports to all these anytime you get some bad actors um in a uh in an area where you have control and confinement of uh of a vulnerable population you you start to see sti rates within those communities rise for sure
1: yeah, absolutely so okay so syphilis has a long and sordid history and mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into that. Like the, the wee days when syphilis was just a little toddler new in the world. <laughs> well, well. Where did it come from? How, how did it become so, I don't know, prevalent?
0: Right. Well, the prevalence goes back to, now there, there, this is kind of open to debate as to how long it's been in existence in Europe. Uh-huh. uh and it, it is one of the oldest diseases because it's the, the treponema pallidum is very very old uh, spirochete and uh so it's been around for a while but when it started to happen we have to go back to 1492 when Ooh. columbus sailed the ocean blue Oh uh, yeah. Because what happened was that with this dubious account of Discovery America by Christopher Columbus, which of course is absolutely bogus because I mean yeah. first of all, how can you discover land where generations of inhabitants are literally watching you arrive from the shore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it uh uh it, it it the the poem that I just recited goes on to say uh you know the arakawa natives were very nice they gave the sailors food and spice and part of that was that they exchanged their they, as a gift they gave women to the crew of the of the of the uh, of columbus's uh invasion team and mm-hmm. uh along with the uh, along with that, they would exchange, there would be an exchange of diseases. And when the ships of Columbus arrived, they unwittingly brought dozens of diseases themselves to which Europeans mm-hmm. were immune. Things like syphilis, and, not syphilis, but smallpox. And, right. and uh, I mean, think of it smallpox, rabies, uh, yellow fever, malaria, uh, all, all these. Um, uh, all, all these diseases that the Europeans have gotten used to because Europeans have been living with animals. Right. And all these diseases that I just mentioned, this big 20 diseases, smallpox, those are, those are all, they start in animals and then by this constant exposure to these animals, because in, in, in Europe, people would live with their, with their animals. They would they would they would have them in their house often or they and then they would eat them and so there was a big chance of of for those diseases to transfer to humans and then humans would develop some sort of a self-inoculation about that 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 hurt so-called herd immunity um which uh which uh protects certain elements of the population, but you bring that on three ships to the New World, and these poor pre-Columbian Native Americans had no exposure to those animal diseases. And so Mm -hmm. it just went rampant. And in fact, during this period, after the discovery of the New World, this this was a period of sickness and genocide that mostly occurred within five years up to to 1498. And it soon left 100 million people. That's up to 95% of the indigenous population dead. Holy shit. Really? I
1: did not realize that quickly.
0: Yes. In fact, not only that, but it affected the climate. It ushered in the Little Ice Age because the Native Americans were a, an agrarian population where they would, they didn't live with their animals. They would burn the forest, chase the animals into the grasslands, and then they would eat them, hunt them and eat them as needed. They didn't, they didn't domesticate them. So they weren't around that. Mm -hmm. So they didn't acquire these same diseases. There was this huge population die off of indigenous peoples in the Western hemisphere, but that affected the climate because there were there was less greenhouse gas in the air and that mm-hmm. caused a drop in the temperature. And so what was called the little ice age of Europe, which happened, right. uh, if you remember that, that happened in the following century. And, right. and a lot of climatologists are, are linking it back to the sudden change of the lack of the burning of, of the, of the forests. So. Wow. So in fact, uh, uh, they say that in addition to the, the the die-off of the population, but also due to climate change, that it was the most significant mass extermination since the comet that wiped out the dinosaurs <clears throat> sixty five million years ago.
1: Holy crap. Right, so
0: so it was a wow. ma- so uh so this is why on <laughs> this is why Columbus Day is uh is very controversial, among, yeah. among other reasons. Fucker. Fuck that Fuck fucker. Fuck
1: that fucker. Yeah.
0: So, uh, but that's a whole other story about how that even came into it. But But back to the diseases. Are you in a long-term
1: relationship? Has sex become so routine that you feel you can write a manual for it? You know, something like, you go down on them for two and a half minutes, then they go down on you for two and a half minutes, assume the doggy position, and done, go down to the kitchen for a snack. Okay, yawn. We have the solution to spice up your sex life. It's called Sympathic Us. Sympatic Us is an online sex survey that helps couples find and explore the intimate interests and desires they have in common. You know, the areas where they're sympathetic. It works like this. Each person in a couple logs into Sympatic's website and separately answers a series of questions about their erotic interests and desires. The survey covers nearly a thousand bedroom activities, including everything from erotic massage to licking armpits. Then Sympatic Us will send you and your partner a report with only the activities that you both have in common. Then you can discuss and explore all your shared desires more freely. Hey, we all have sexual interests and sometimes it can be intimidating to share them openly with your partner. So that's why Sympathic only shares the activities you both enjoy so you can have those intimate conversations without the fear of being rejected or judged. Now we're constantly being asked by listeners how they can spice up their sex lives and Sympathic Us is an excellent resource. It's a fun way to bring you and your partner much closer and it'll light your sex lives on fire. Right now, Sympathic Us is offering American Sex Podcast listeners 20% off when you go to Sympathic.us and enter the code Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y at checkout. That's S-I-M-P-A-T-I-C dot U-S with the promo code SUNNY to get 20% off. Now, that offer is also in our show notes. That's Sympatic dot us with code SUNNY.
0: Christopher Columbus and his crew brought over 20 diseases or more. and But they didn't go back uh, empty-handed or empty penis. Uh, <laughs> because they carried one disease back that they had contracted from the indians who perhaps had developed some sort of a, a, a herd immunity to and that was syphilis so in uh, yeah in, in 1493 columbus stole all he could see and then <laughs> there was another voyage and then another and on these, Columbus would get successively sicker and sicker. In fact, on his third voyage, he talked about just how he almost died on the trip back over to the uh, back over to Hispaniola because uh, mm-hmm. he, because he was suffering from um, uh, we believe now it's syphilis. So uh-huh. they didn't return empty-handed, and with all the treasures from paradise, you know the chocolate and the cigars and the sugar and the cafe, the. Cafefe, um, the <laughs> In their blood and semen, of the semen, and even Columbus himself was... The only disease that was brought back to Europe from the Americas and that was syphilis. Mm. Now, while, you know, this this is kind of controversial, most evidence still shows that syphilis did not exist in Europe in any great extent before Columbus set sail. So when they got back to Spain in 1493, the helmsman and several crew members of the Nina visited the fleet doctor complaining of severe fever and skin lesions which they said they got from women in the West Indies. Hmm. Ah. Based on our earlier talk about what the symptoms are, we kind of get a spoiler alert right there. Well, that didn't stop them from passing this on to waterfront sex workers in Barcelona, who then passed it on to Spanish mercenaries, who then passed it on to people that they invaded in, like, like for example, King Charles of of the Eighth of France, wanted Mm -hmm. to invade Naples. And so we hired all these Spanish mercenaries in 1495 and invaded Italy. And then that gave rose to the very first epidemic ever broke him out, broke out among the armies in Italy, affecting at least 20,000 people, including King Charles himself. In fact, uh, that's where the malady got its term, the great pox, because that was what it was dubbed after King Charles got it. And during this whole period of, of 20,000 people getting in Italy, in fact, they would, they would call the the malady all, all over, it, it basically reached all over the continent and even in a North and Eventually, it infected 15% of the European population. Wow. So one in one in five people almost affected in, in London in the 1880s. They said that one in five Londoners had active syphilis. So it was referred to as the third plague or the revenge of the Americas. And so that's how it basically got to Europe. So, you know, that w- what's interesting about the 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 treatment of this is because it goes away on its own. People thought mm-hmm. that they were coming with cures all the time. You know, for centuries, the most common treatments involved dabbing mercury onto the shankers. And if, Ooh. which, so the the, the French w- were, would carry little vials of mercury around their neck that they would dab on their, on their shankers and they would disappear in a couple of weeks. And so they thought, Hey, it worked, but because they, they didn't realize that they were poisoning themselves with mercury as well. That was, that's crazy. Right. So, oh. They were becoming mad as a hatter, which is where that (laughs) term comes from because hatters used to use mercury in the tanning Mm. process. So you could mix the mercury with charcoal and then dab the plaster on any sore on your face. And so well-to-do women of the day even cut little black patches called mooshes out of velvet or mouse skin. And then they would they would stick them on their face to hold that plaster of mercury. In place and also to hide the lesions and thus the birth of the fake beauty mark <gasps> that is so popular today
1: what? yeah so oh so when i dab it's on a fake mind. when i dab <laughs> on a fake beauty mark i'm like hey look at my cute syphilis
0: that's right it's like wow and so that's and okay. dead
2: mouse skin yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah the poor mice and so that is uh yeah so if you look at and so if you go back and you look at all these paintings from that period and you see all these people with these black patches on their on their face, those are mooshes or syphilis um shankers on their faces. <gasps> and that's not the only fashion trend that you start to enjoy. Well, of course you you couldn't pull you couldn't hold mooshes on your neck where the larger rashes would typically appear. Um and if you here, here's a little trick. If you if you go back and you see um uh, Jack Sparrow. If you see, you see the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember whether it's pronounced Caribbean or Caribbean now. But if you actor Johnny Depp, who played the role of Jack Sparrow, he decided that Captain Jack, it, in order to be accurate to a sailor of his days, would have had syphilis to be mm-hmm. so to be historically accurate with the time. He made sure that he was always painted with this syphilis rash on his jaw, for all the children to enjoy. So if you. <laughs> So if you look at his pictures and you look at the movie you'll see this red rash under his right jaw that is him that is his syphilis rash. And uh just a little little nod to uh, a little secret tribute there. So thank you Disney. And uh um, wow. So wow. and this type of syphilis on the neck is the reason why in the mid 1500s you started seeing those lacy neck ruffles and the cartwheel yeah. ruffs <gasps> becoming all the rage for the fashionable elite. And then even powdered wigs—they were called perukes came into fashion to match that patchy hair loss that I talked about in the sim- symptoms earlier. And of course, you would always, in the tertiary phase, you'd also get these smelly sores on the heads. And so, between the hair loss and the patchy holes on the on the skull, uh, you would wear these long wigs. So that's what the, where they came in came into fashion. Wow. And so all these things—the the beauty marks and the powdered wigs and the and the Ruffled collars, and even to an extent which eventually uh, lowered down into the cravat and the and the froth, and eventually the necktie. These are all historical vestiges of syphilis hiding the symptoms of an annual disease that was was prevalent, and so it it became. They were all these fashion things were not just stylish; they were a necessity from the scourge and shame of VD.
1: Wow. And and you know, it's so funny cuz people look back on that kind of fashion, especially the high collars yeah. and think, "Oh, because they were so prudish and modest." No, they all had STIs and they were trying to cover up their sores. Yeah, it so, just had to have wow. a,
0: a fashionable thing to have it. And of course, you know, the the wider the longer the ruffle, that's like a big, you know, not a hugger. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think I need one of those ruffles. <laughs> Not for syphilis, just like strangers. Stop I hugging do. me. I... <laughs>
0: I actually have a ruffle and I actually have a spiked ruffle, which is even Ooh, better. So, yeah, oh, well, that's awesome. That's, that's the way I like to go. Yeah.
1: I think these days, though, we need like a six foot circumference. Absolutely. Ruffle.
0: I want, yes. <laughs> we want to see that. We just said, you know, Midori brought up, uh, we were having a conversation and she mentioned the fact that uh, thinking about what are these fashion things that throughout history that are a result of disease. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I brought up the fact that the, the buttons on, on, on suit coat sleeves are from uh, Napoleon put those on his, his army's uniforms to keep them from wiping their noses on their (gasps) sleeve. Yeah. So that's where those buttons come from. So, and, and Midori called out the fact that in, in hundreds of years from now, people will be looking at this age and the fashions that we see, will be seeing the face mask and, Mm -hmm. and we'll be seeing your six foot ruffle and, um, (laughs) And a onesie and more, the ones yeah. exactly yeah. and uh, and
1: no more bras and no more high heels yeah yes! and
0: and Lordy. gloves and gloves are back so yeah. Um, yeah yeah so yeah so it'll be interesting to look back at uh, at at how the how this current pandemic is affecting fashion as well
2: wow. Yeah. I mean, just listening to everything that they brought back from the new world made me think of almost like a Leatherman's convention, cigars, chocolates. I'm surprised they didn't bring back boot blacks. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they did. Yeah. They, uh, uh, unfortunately it's, it's, this was the beginning of the, uh, uh, you know, I I think, I think there were like 16 or so. eleven. I can't remember how many made it across, but of course Columbus uh, brought back enslaved people. And, uh, Mm. in fact, one of the reasons why you backed it, not to get off the, the rails here too much, but remember Samoset? He was the Native American who in 1621 greeted the colonists at Plymouth and surprised everyone by speaking English, saying, Welcome, Englishman! Well, he learned English from another Native American named Tisquantum, who's often called Squanto. Uh, That name may sound familiar because he's the one who helped teach the pilgrims how to grow native crops and survive the year of the Great Thanksgiving Feast that we now celebrate every November. Well, Tisquantum knew English so well because he had been kidnapped by English explorer Thomas Hunt, who carried him to Spain as an enslaved person, where he was educated, forced into Christianity, and eventually sold to a master in England, where many years later he was able to arrange... Passage back to the New World and earned his freedom by serving as a guide to English colonists. And he arrived and found his entire village had been decimated. He was the only survivor, ah. and so he basically was just absorbed into another an, into another tribe. And uh, so that that whole process was one of the reasons why uh, this. Uh, Uh, The Native Americans accepting undocumented immigrants uh, into uh, the Plymouth area uh, led to uh, the Thanksgiving that we all know and love today. Ironically, it was while helping other settlers pilot a ship around Cape Cod that um, Tisquantum contracted a fever from the English, and he died about a month before the great Thanksgiving feast that he made possible. So a little, wow. little bit more of dark history there that uh, uh, the whole reason why it was, uh, why why he spoke English was because he had been an enslaved person for a decade.
1: Wow. Wow. God, our history is so fucked up. It's fascinating, but it's fucked up. Yeah. I wish it didn't exist. But it's, but, it's important know.
2: to know because this is not the things they're putting into the- Exactly. You know, like high school history books, possibly even college history books. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's just- uh, it it is uh, it it's a now I can't even begin to scratch the surface of just the surface of how sad it is and and what's even more sad like you brought up is this is never covered yeah because you know the victors write the history books and uh, the it's one of the things that's left out of history books is the fact that there were hundreds of years maybe thousands of years of of merchant trade and exploration f- coming from from Central Africa, from the west coast of Africa, for where where Black Africans were sailing across on the shortest route across. If you look at a map, how sh- it's one of the shortest intercontinental distances uh, mm-hmm. to. Uh, and uh and and I did a I did a whole speech and uh, uh and uh, enjoy talking about that bit of history as well just just the history of of uh of african exploration of america long before columbus in fact columbus was given as a gift these gold medal tipped spears that were given to to the people of hispaniola by by dark skinned mariners that had come from the east from the southeast hmm. and the gold on the tips of the spears turned out to be guanine which was the same gold that was used by the mali in africa and later on the moors so wow. so there's there's definite evidence that that uh that there was uh, there was pre-columbian trade between africa and south america and central america long before like i said long before columbus anyway that's that's a uh, that's a rabbit hole <laughs> that would take another that, that books have been written on, so yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, it's fascinating though, fascinating. So we left off with syphilis mm-hmm. in England, where you know we had fashion, we had the moles, we're covering it up with mercury, and we're thinking that we're curing it, but we're not. Right. So then what happened?
0: Well, what's interesting about this this third period, the tertiary period, is that when the spirochetes start boring holes in your brain, is that as a kind of ironic but short live consolation prize uh sometimes it comes with a period of intense mental clarity and creativity in mm. fact some some of the world's best known syphilitics and that includes uh william shakespeare uh amadeus mozart uh ludwig van beethoven abraham lincoln vincent van gogh uh, paul Gauguin, oscar wilde scott joplin uh, and and so many others you mentioned even uh uh Let's see, even Al Capone, Capone. and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and, and Lenin, uh, Vladimir, not John, uh, produced it. <laughs> well, possibly, who knows? But possibly. Oh, well, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. yeah you we'll never, never know, know. Never know. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, produced their greatest, you can only imagine. So, um, produced their greatest works during these fits of this, of this disease induced genius. And, mm. and in fact, Frederick Nietzsche was probably the most uh, famous of these because he actually embraced this because he made it very well known that he was suffering from the disease. And Sigmund Freud actually uh, complimented him. And he said that that uh, the most essential factor behind Nietzsche's talent for introspection was the role that syphilis played in his life. And he praised wow. Nietzsche by saying he placed his disposition at the service of science. And uh, so sometimes sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and sometimes uh, Columbus brought it covered with syphilis and yeah then, <laughs> and uh, just um, just like that's my favorite Monica Lewinsky joke was uh, where where's, I, I, where who was the last? gosh who was the other what was Bill Clinton's other uh, Don uh, Jennifer flowers Jennifer flowers no. yes asked ha- so, so, uh, asked if uh, um, w- was asked if her experience was similar to Monica Lewinsky's, and she said, close, but no cigar.
2: Oh! <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but yes, it's so bad, but so good. Okay.
0: <laughs> so um, so for centuries, the most common treatments for this were dabbing mercury onto the shankers, like I said. But mm-hmm. also, they had this uh, – when when mercury wasn't enough, you could take mercury pills or full-body ointments. In fact, they could even put you into a mercury-vaporizing steam bath, but there was no cure. They did try malaria therapy, and uh, around the turn of the 20th century, some doctors were experimenting with, with using malaria as a cure for syphilis because it's sensitive to fever. In fact, uh, this Austrian physician and psychologist uh, – He's kind of like Hannibal Lecter, uh, you know. Got the got the double degrees there. The name Julius Wagner Jarreg received the Nobel Prize for medicine in 1927 for demonstrating the therapeutic effects of malarial fever. And so they would basically, yeah, so they would take a patient that was suffering from from uh, from syphilis, and they would draw his and in and and infect him with malaria and then once he had malaria they would take his blood and then stick it into someone else that had syphilis and uh, they would do this as uh, they found that this, Level of inoculation was best by by drawing the blood from active patients, uh, and that it was much more reliable than simply just letting infected mosquitoes fly around the infirmary ward. But uh, oh. so that is how they started, and they actually had started to have some success with this. Well, let's really, see, yeah. So let's, but, but then next year, 1928, this doctor in England named Dr. Alexander Fleming who was a bacteriologist at uh, at London Hospital returned from his summer holiday in Scotland to find a messy lab bench that he'd left his an old sandwich on well that day he got back to work and he started to try grow he started to try to grow staphylococcus in some petri dishes mm-hmm. but this damn mold kept eating it And he realized what's going on here, and he said, "Oh, well, that's curious." Well, and that's how penicillin was, was kind of born, right? Well, not not exactly, because actually, all Fleming did was to write a paper about it, and then he left it at that.
1: American Sex Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and is now available in the USA, Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and the EU. And we have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use code SUNNY and get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the movement and the 2 million others who trust Manscaped. Now, did you know every hour of every day someone is diagnosed with testicular cancer? So this is a reminder to those listening to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Manscaped, in addition to providing the right tools and solutions for safe and easy manscaping, has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to spread awareness on early cancer detection. Together, TCS and Manscaped are committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and And families impacted by testicular cancer as a part of their We Save Balls initiative. So while you're down there cleaning up, go ahead and investigate for lumps or changes in size or any pain. Manscaped recommends you do this once a month, and if you feel anything strange, give your doctor a call. In addition to checking yourself, make sure your sack is looking fresh and clean with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Inside, you're gonna find some of our favorite products like the crop preserver, anti chafing ball deodorant, the crop. Reviver, Ball Toner, and Refresher, Anti-Chafing Performance Boxers, and a whole bunch more. Now get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY S U N N Y at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code SUNNY at M A N S C A P E D.com. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush you never made a move on, or that co-worker you always had a little thing for, or maybe a story that puts you in bed with someone who's telling you exactly what they'd like to do to you. They release new content every week, so there's always more to explore, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of American Sex Podcasts, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny s-u-n-n-y that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash sunny again that's Dipsy slash sunny
0: meanwhile in the united states uh, going to 1932, there was an epidemic of syphilis in Macon County, Alabama, where 35% of the population had syphilis. So the Public Health Service, which is now the CDC, started what was known as the we often heard about nowadays, Tuskegee syphilis experiment to study Mm. the effects of untreated syphilis. In fact, they rounded up 600 African-American men, only Uh, African-American men, 400 of whom already had syphilis. And then 200 didn't. Half of those that had syphilis, they would slather with up to 500 pounds of mercury every year, and then check their blood once a month to see what happens. And then the rest of those, they would let the syphilis run rampant and, and, uh, they would uh um they would keep them out of military service and um and just cuz they wanted to see what happened and so they would basically used the uh, these these African American men as as guinea pigs to track what syphilis would do to the human body and PS to see you know if this treatment worked or if that treatment worked so total guinea pig mm. stuff so meanwhile is it true is it true that they
2: bribed the local physicians not to treat those men
0: yes uh, and they uh, and as we fast forward to the story the how how this story came out is that this this bribery uh, and even if it wasn't bribery uh, but just being placed having that placed on the medical record went on to the mid 1970s where these Holy people shit. were prevented in their medical records they had a big red stamp that said do not administer antibiotics and mm-hmm. um and we oh, we we'll, we'll, that we'll get to the end of how that kind of came out into the light but um a little bit later but let's talk a little bit more about the cure here because Alexander Fleming who got a great deal of credit for discovering penicillin, actually didn't do anything with it because he just wrote a paper on it. so mm-hmm. then there are these, back in England, it's now 1940 and a couple of biochemists at Oxford University named Flory and Chain were leafing through 12 year old back issues of a British pathology journal. And they came across Alexander Fleming's article about penicillium and they said, oh, well, this looks cool. Let's try to ferment penicillin out of uh, penicillium mold. And uh, they turn out to have a, and they and in, they in, infected a hundred mice with uh, with staphylococcus, and they they uh, injected half of them with with penicillin bacteria, and then uh, and uh, with penicillin, and those that were injected with penicillin survived, and those that did not died, and they just had this perfect record of curing mice within hours. Eureka! So wow. they were going on a human trials, but then they got tired of constantly getting interrupted by this total asshole who at the time was deep in the throes of his own stage two syphilis. And uh, uh, his, his name was uh, uh, Adolf Hitler. Yes. Who was dropping, <laughs> who was dropping bombs on their lab in London and Oxford. And so, so Florian chain packed up everything that they had and they moved to the United States and they set up a lab in Peoria, Illinois, getting about as far away from any bombs as they could get and any airplanes. And they, they weren't tirelessly to produce enough serum growing Penicillium notatum fungus in everything they could find, including bedpans. Now the trouble is that it took two thousand liters of penicillium culture to purify into a single human dose of penicillin. So they knew they needed a more potent source for this fungus. Where could they find it? Well, one hot summer day in nineteen forty one, their laboratory assistant by the name of Mary Hunt uh, they sent her out to hunt. And she <laughs> she arrived with a cantaloupe that she'd picked out at the market, and she pointed out that it was covered with, oh, look, this is a pretty golden mold. Well, <laughs> this mold turned out to be the fungus Penicillium chrysogenum, and it yielded hmm. 200 times the amount of penicillin as the mold that Fleming had described. Oh! So they shipped the cantaloupe off to a colleague at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, as you would, uh, interestingly uh. enough. And they zapped the mold with x-rays, and they were able to produce a thousand times more penicillin than before. And so they finally had a source for making human doses of it. And in 1942, Anne Miller, you may remember, was mm-hmm. lying in a New Haven hospital, dying of sepsis from a miscarriage. And uh she became the first – person to be successfully treated with penicillin. She was cured literally overnight.
1: Wow. And
0: in fact, her temperature chart is now preserved in the Smithsonian because she'd been languishing with a temperature of 107 for a month. Holy Jesus. And some, some say it may have been a botched abortion, but they called it a miscarriage. But yeah, so she was close to death. And then so she became the one, well, let's try it out and then eureka yeah. she was cured so uh the they rust that shit into production and from they used to to grow it in in giant vats of beer because that was really? the best substrate for it and yeah so yeah. from january to may of 1942 400 million units of penicillin were manufactured and cultured all in beer in middle of Illinois. So huh. by the end of the war, American pharmaceutical companies were producing 650 billion, that's with a B, units a month. And every dose of penicillin produced until about 1950 came from spores that originated on Mary Hunt's Moldy Cantaloupe.
1: <laughs> I, I want to start a band called Mary Hunt's Moldy Cantaloupe. <laughs> that's that's, that's it. Great. That's my new band name right there. Yeah.
0: It's uh <laughs> You could... It, it would be go. It would go viral. So or not? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> the uh, uh, so well anyway. So thanks. Thanks to the adoption of penicillin as a pure proven cure, because it would cure syphilis within four hours, it uh, syphilis progressively decreased until 1958, when the newly renamed Centers for Disease Control declared eradication of syphilis in 90 percent of counties in the United States. But. You know, before you sound the celebration horns, remember that. Meanwhile, back in Macon, the CDC had secretly been continuing the Tuskegee experiment, right? Until about 1972, when a San Francisco journalist was uh, had it shut down because a San Francisco journalist was overhearing was was at uh, was at a San Francisco hospital and was overhearing doctors talk about this patient that was not to be given penicillin. Because he was part of some experiment. And so this, uh, and so this reporter um, uh, started asking questions, and it was a great case of a, a perfect case of how yellow journalism can really help the world and brought right. to light the fact that there was what's going on with this. It turns out that during these 40 years, none of the African American patients in the Tuskegee study received the penicillin that could have halted the disease. They were never even told that they had syphilis. In fact, the doctors only used the term "you have bad blood," and mm. they were even secretly disqualified from military service for fear that they might someday accidentally be given penicillin. Wow! So and it, so these uh, these poor men suffered for decades with his disease. In fact, in an interview years later, the nurse who drew all the blood tests said that they must have known. That they had a veneer disease because one of them, the men said that, you know, we told her, we joked, you know, well, what you've done in the dark, sure, sure do come back in the light. And, uh, uh. and so it's just absolutely inexcusable that for, for wow. decades we were using African Americans or, or, and, and any humans for this type of, of, of non consensual experiment and right. it, it's particularly relevant today because it gives some meaning as to why so many African Americans say they've got misgivings about taking the coronavirus mm-hmm. vaccine because yeah. you know this is a very well-earned distrust of the CDC so mm-hmm. uh, so keep that so so let's uh cut some cut some slack at the very least yeah
1: absolutely so
0: that's where we are today and um and it wasn't until the 90s that clinton uh invited all the survivors of the tuskegee experiment to uh to publicly apologize and so um so the they they stopped at the tuskegee experiment in the mid-70s and then finally received their apology um uh, for what it's worth in the 90s, uh, uh, thanks to uh, Bill Clinton. And so yeah. that is a, a another very terrible mark on, uh, on American history right there. Wow.
1: But the apology didn't include anything crispy and green. Like, they didn't get money. They just got, oh, we're sorry, we experimented on you for decades?
0: Yeah, I, d- I, d- I don't know exactly what they did, what sort of hush money they did, or, or, yeah. or, or reparations uh, of um, – uh, but uh, – and and maybe they got a medal of freedom or something i'm not quite sure i didn't i didn't delve deep into yeah. into what that uh, that article in the 90s was but simply the fact that it was uh, at, at, at the very least it was publicly acknowledged, acknowledged. At, at the highest yeah. levels and so uh thank, so at least um the cdc and other actors like that are under a microscope so uh, it gives us a little bit more uh more sense of hopefully Safety today to know that uh, um, there it's like the safest time to fly in an airplane is after it has gone back in a service after an airworthiness directive you know after after yeah. so because that's you know when you know it's been it's it's the it's the it's the default in the system that you can't see uh, that you have to worry about but uh, the safest time to go up is when everyone and everything has been inspected so yeah. so at least we have that. So that is a, that's a rundown of the history of syphilis.
1: I am just like I have all the emotions. I'm all over the gamut. Like I'm geeked out and fascinated because I love the history and all the like. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, the little tidbits and the puns. I'm all about the puns. But I'm pissed. I am pissed. At Columbus, I'm pissed at the Tuskegee experiment. I'm pissed. I'm fascinated. I'm I'm everything. Yeah. Oh my god! Thank you,
0: Dan. Have you thought about writing a book on the subject? Well, there are plenty of books on the subject. One of my favorite books is called uh, "Pox: Genius, Madness, and the Mysteries of Syphilis," and is written Ooh. by Deborah Hayden H A Y D N. And that's actually where I got the idea to 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 do this talk is from reading that book because wow, you would That'd love this book because uh, it. It uh, it talks about all the curious uh, effects that this disease has caused on history, and all the yeah. and all the interesting public figures that had it. Because you have to realize that if you look back, people say, "Oh, you know, like I, I love all the all oh, the SCA stuff, and I love doing vintage yeah. stuff." But if you if you do if you think about, oh, life was simpler back in the you know the the turn of the century, or back back in the thirties and the the twenties. It, uh, this was a time that was rampant with some very deadly diseases and syphilis was a big one of them. When you think of just uh-huh. how much the percentage of the population had a very gruesome disease, I, if you have a weak stomach, do not Google syphilis disease images, particularly of the turn century. Cause you can, th- the stuff that it Ooh. does to living humans that is just so grotesque. You can see why it had such an effect on the fashions of the day because it was. Not to be messed with. And you know, one and one out of every five people had it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm
0: looking it up right
2: oh, now. Oh, we're looking. At, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh.
1: Google or don't Google that, depending on on
2: great. how tough you this are. Was, yeah. It's a little bit too much to home. Oh, that my guy has goodness. a mustache just yeah. like mine.
1: Well, my, my sister, Uncle George's father- mm-hmm. Um, who is actually my uncle George? Is like my first cousin twice removed. It's a long story. My grandfather's cousin, um, his his dad
2: died of syphilis. Oh, mm-hmm. did he? Yeah. And when was that?
1: Ah, uh, my uncle George was born in 1927. Divorced the mom like really early, somewhere in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, and you can kind of color your your view of history when you look at other greats when you're reading biographies of people, and if you hear stories in their in their young when they get to middle age and start getting early onset dementia, or if they mention these diseases, I mean, even if some people are even estimating maybe King Henry VIII had syphilis, which was one of the reasons behind it, these sores that would never heal on his legs. And um, and so if you look back with the eye of syphilis symptoms you can kind of get an idea of just how many great known figures of history may have been may have had their lives shortened by this disease just mm-hmm. because the yeah there are a lot of uh a lot of stories particularly uh and and, and vladimir Lenin was was one of them as well so or Nicol- wow. who, who was, was it? i'm getting my first names wrong um i'm lo- Wait, i'm gonna have to Lennon. turn it
1: now, now, Ken's, Ken, are you googling, I'm gonna, Ken?
0: I cool, help, help us out, Ken. I'm not near a computer, but the, uh, the uh, I'm, I'm, I'm failing my communist history class. No, you That's got it, it. Oh, Vladimir. Oh, Vladimir, okay. okay, great, Vladimir Landon. No, you nailed it. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, That's why it, Vladimir was the only
2: name I could think of. I know. Like, Is it my that two of my I'm like Peter, e, e, Igor? No, none of those sounded right. Two,
0: <laughs> two of my favorite Vlads, <laughs> you Aww. know, being goth. You know, you've got oh. the you've got the Vlad the Impaler and. Um, <laughs>
1: absolutely so, yeah so uh, yeah. going off
0: the rails there but what's uh, so but you would uh, check out check out this speaking group that i'm a part of and uh-huh. uh, uh, we we give regular speaking talks on on interesting history topics and it's Ooh. called it's called oddsalon.com you would love it Ooh. Ooh. because they're basically just short history speeches about odd bits of unknown history and it's been going on for years and we used to do it live and now we're doing it virtually and i've got a few recordings up there now I'll, I'll i'll send you some links to my recordings including a speech that i gave on on uh, the uh on the african discovery of america and mm-hmm. um so it's a it's a great uh website to go to to watch all of these spe- uh, speeches and you can see it on youtube as well so oddsalon.com and uh, if you're a speaker, you, you, so don't submit a pitch. And and we still do these. We just did another one last night. Only now they're ah. virtual, and now we shortened it to five minutes long. So you can log on for an hour and see these short five minute speeches about these cool tidbits of history. And uh, um, and uh, yeah, I'll send you a couple of links to uh, to that, including some of my own. And um, and so yeah, so that's uh, it, you you would love this. This is oh right goodness, up your alley. Yeah.
1: Actually, I'm, you're totally I, right. I'm actually going to... Lo- I'm going to definitely look this up. And for those listening along right. who are, like, having a little history gasm with me, I will have that link in the show notes. And while we're talking about places to find mm-hmm. you... Where else can people find you? And what because like I, you know, I, we didn't talk about your intro, but it in the future time when this episode is all together, I will have read your bio and people know all about you. Right. So you do so many great, so many great things from your education to your rope bondage stuff, like you do interrogation classes. So tell us all the goods. And where can your people music? Yes, and your music. Right. So where can people get more Danorama? Well, tell us. Well,
0: uh, one way to get if you want to hear my voice rather than talking about more singing, you can check out Harmjoy.com, H-A-R-M-J-O-Y.com. Mm-hmm. That is a it's a German band. I'm, I'm in two bands in Europe. One is called Titans, uh, and one in Sweden. And uh, you can find them on on Facebook as, as well. But uh, I'm also in a band in Germany called Harmjoy, and that's the. That's the English translation of the word schadenfreude, which oh, is one of my yes. favorite. Uh, people who don't yeah. know what schadenfreude is, that's the that's the uh, the giddy but slightly guilty emotion and the the joy that you feel upon hearing the news of another person's, particularly your friends' misfortune. So, <laughs> yes, it, that's, oh. it, that's it's, it's, it's one of those untranslatable words like uh, kumulspeck. Uh, that's why I like. This is why I like German because it has so many words that. Uh, what does what does speck mean? speck is uh, is grief bacon. That is basically the tendency of when you're depressed to eat, and so <gasps> when you're feeling that that emotion is called speck which is which basically just means grief bacon. So it's not a it's not a it's not a, an actual physical thing. Like you don't go. It's not a type of bacon. Um, in fact, you can get laughed at if you ask for that in the restaurants in I Germany. I wish <laughs> you could see
2: Sonny's face right now no. it's like, "Oh, ah, no, this ah, is what I'm thinking.
1: I have to be like, you, Dan, and start a second band called Grief
2: Bacon."
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe, maybe that'll be first album. maybe yeah, maybe okay. that'll be Mar- the name of my first album. I don't know. Yeah. So, Ma- Ma- yeah.
0: Mary Hunt uh, and the Grief Bacon and uh, Yes. <laughs> and the moldy Ma- Mary Hunt's moldy cantaloupe with a side of grief bacon. I <laughs> uh. <laughs> And you can mm,
1: breakfast of champions. Yeah. Okay. So, so, harm, so-
0: <laughs> harmjoy.com. it's a goth industrial band, so uh, and we we have some videos out there, so uh, it can be uh, pretty dark and spooky. And what's interesting is that I, I'm very surprised at how because I'm I'm also also check out two naughty boys.com. I'm one of the founders of Two Naughty Boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, though we haven't updated our website in a while, so don't don't but but check out our books. We've got a couple of great books on how-to bondage that have been out since uh since 2000, 2006 I, I since would actually go so far as to
2: call them some Seminal books. If you're into BDSM, especially if you're into Rogue. rope yeah. bondage, yeah. seminal books that everybody should have
0: It yeah. is the Bible of rope bondage. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I usually try to keep the semen out of my books, but uh, <laughs> oh, the <laughs> pages I are sticking together. Friend. That's where you and I differ. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so yeah, well, thank- fuck bookmarks. Book yeah, well, thank you. So, but but yeah, so, so check out check out my. Uh, you can you can also find me on YouTube with the with videos for for singing for the Swedish band Titans as well. And so that's that's a nice side effect to be able to travel around and uh and and perform music for people because it's just another creative outlet. And I'm also a pilot and a docent at an aviation museum and I've started what? teaching. Yeah, so now I've started teaching virtual tours for the Oakland Aviation Museum. And so uh I uh I will uh I'll I'll send you a link to a virtual tour of that where I go inside the airplanes and uh and tell you all about history about that because I love history and I love airplanes a life and I'm a pilot and so I can kind of give you the uh um the, the inside scoop that you wouldn't get just from looking at these and it's just one more way for me to help keep these museums open. Uh I, I
2: That's incredible, man. I was in the Air Force and have you ever been to Wright Patterson Air Force oh, base to yes, the museum uh, there? Yeah,
0: fantastic. And have you ever been to davis montham Mm-hmm. Wow. That's just – Davis Mountain. if you haven't – in fact, one of my most recent videos was filmed at Davis Mountain Air Force Base. And oh uh, the um, – uh, and uh, it's – I'll send you a link to that as well. And it uh, – uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the cool thing about that for people that don't know what Davis Motham is is that's that's the boneyard. So all these yep. old airplanes, for the, most of them, Air Force planes, because uh, there's an old Air Force base. But now you know they've also mothballed a lot of airliners as well, like the seven sixty sevens and the seven fifty sevens, which which uh, have been taken out of active service. Mm-hmm. And they they basically for the they either chop them up or they see, so there's one part of it where for the Russians to as part of our our SALT 2 and all of our nuclear nuclear weapons treaties we 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 have this area where we set out all our B-52s and they take a giant guillotine and they chop the wings off. And so they and they leave them out there so that the Russian satellites can look down and say that okay great we don't have the, we that airplane doesn't exist anymore. So they leave it out there ah. to rot. So you have all this 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 uh rotting disabled Mm-hmm. Uh, that bomber makes me so footage.
2: sad. I was in strategic air command. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like my buddies. Yeah,
0: well, you know, the, uh, the buff is still flying. So the buff is the B-52. So yeah, they're, they're, they're still flying, but but they had to take a lot of them out of service. So they chopped them up along with the, like the Titan II missiles and that sort of thing. And uh, and then there's another section where they, they seal them up or they paint over the windows. And so they preserve them. And if we ever need them again, uh, we can just go wash the paint off and we can uh, you know, change the oil and then off to go. And- and so what you have is if you've ever flown over it, sometimes you're, you, you may on a transcontinental flight, you'll see it, but you'll see just square miles and square miles and square miles of all these aircraft lined up in neat rows in the middle of the desert. And that's what that is. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. So we shot. <gasps> oh, that's cool. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, Tom Petty shot a video learning to fly out there. And so we, we got some footage out there. And so, um. The uh, yeah, so so check it anyway. Don't get me talking about airplanes because Ken and I will just like we'll we'll just we'll <laughs>
2: hang or fly well, for hours. I'm trying
0: not to. I'm trying it's not. so
2: funny I'm staying, because stay on target, stay you, on target. You do so much and you're so dynamic. I told you, like I'm Like, million things. i I'm, found on Dan I know. I'm waiting
1: for for you to be like, oh, and in my spare time, I'm a brain surgeon, and on Saturdays sometimes <laughs> I'm a nuclear physicist. He is, you know, and I'm a zookeeper. So. <laughs>
0: So uh, I just get bored easy. So I travel. So, I, so a bunch of things. I'm, I'm a cancer survivor, and so I, I, I survived uh, a five year. Uh, uh, when I was 28, I was given a 50 50 chance of living five years, and so that oh, that kind of made me. That's actually when I got into BDSM. Wow, it
2: was after surviving, oh, okay.
0: so not until my 30s. Yeah, which is why I talk about my wasted 20s because I think of all the like I, I wasted a life of uh, being, being shy and doing nothing, and so after you I survived, I just you know now i just if if there's something i'm curious about it i just explore it cuz i don't know if i'm ever going to get the chance again and so yeah it's a yeah. people say why do you do so much stuff it's like well i short attention span and it's sort of like me sublimating add and um Uh, and I just love to learn. And that's why I teach so many different types of BDSM classes, because if someone tells me that they're into something like steel, I go, Oh, let me learn how to do that. And I go about, let buy like a bunch of, a bunch of handcuffs and shackles and this and that. And then I learn how to use them. And then I teach a class on it because it's the best teaching is the best way to learn about it. And then I rock my partner's world. And so. It's all about continually learning. And this is one of the things I love about being a docent at this museum is that, you know, we have an aircraft. And so I just learned all about this aircraft so I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And my last thing I'm going to leave on this, on this bit of advice for, for, for people, particularly men, uh, you have a mansplaining problem. Just accept it, but you need to with you. (laughs) Sorry. So, for all my fellow mansplainers, or because uh, I'm a danceplainer, here's <laughs> here is how you can use your Aikido technique and kind of divert that into something positive. If you like to talk a lot and know a lot about a little thing, which is the big problem with mansplaining, is that if you have no little, if you know a lot about a little thing, then you're obnoxious. But become a docent. So go volunteer at these museums. <laughs> When they when they open again, hopefully open again, and uh, if you have video capability, do what I do and do virtual start open suggesting doing virtual tours. But if you're a docent, is like the perfect job for a manslayer because you're there and people want to know about this thing, and then they've got your attention and you can just. You can just pompously spout out with your hands, akim- arms akimbo, about all that you know about this, and and people appreciate it, and they're a captive audience. It's perfect. It's perfect. Oh, and I love it. So so if you're a, if you're a problematic mansplainer and you know you are, um, then become a docent, support your museums, and spread the knowledge that you have in a way where it's consensual.
1: Oh, I love it. Thank you. That is that is I a. I feel gr- so called out right
2: now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, we anyway. were Chicago tours. I mean, I was the yeah. top dose. You were a in tour Chicago guy for for years. Oh, wow. many
1: many years, many many years. Thank you so much. I it thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I this thoroughly amazing, enjoyed man. getting to know you better, you. and I want to talk to you more. We are now officially friends. Hey. Um, so
0: yay! Thank you so much, and we'll we'll talk again. Okay. righty. My pleasure. Thank you again so much for the invitation.